Well, hi, everyone. If you don't know me, I'm Nicola. Really nice to be chatting tonight to you. Uh, do keep the Bible open at Luke uh, 15, and we'll just pray. Father, as we look at this passage tonight, would you speak to each one of us in this room? Amen. It's, it's, um, if you're watching online, it is actually genuinely hotting up, isn't it? <laughs> Um, so I'm just going to kind of take a little kind of mood poll on the on the room here. Um, if you are quite up for a little bit of interaction in the sermon, you need to raise, raise your left hand. And if you're like, just leave me alone, it's too hot, raise your right hand. So just can you just give me a little hand? Because I just need to raise like kind of roughly, and now I've got to remember that's my left and right. And I'm just going to kind of left the... Okay, you guys are up for a bit of interaction apart from this little crew over here. So I'm glad you guys are kind of roughly sat together. So you can just like introvert out when I ask some sort of interactive question, okay? You can just like introvert out and just kind of mull it over in your heads, okay? And, and one person over here. Great. Okay. Brilliant. All right. Okay. Just needed to test it out. So if you're sat a little bit on your own, maybe come forward a bit and sit in there somewhere else if you kind of, if you want, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a question. So in your little huddles or someone kind of vaguely near you, I'd love you to think, is there a time like this guy in verse 17 when you've come to your senses and he realised, why am I craving pods from pigs? My father's hired servants actually have food. Maybe I could go back home. And you've come to your senses. You've suddenly realised, I actually need some help. So I want you to share perhaps a time when that's happened to you. You've come to your senses and you've realised you need a little bit of help. So have a little chat on that. Okay, so you haven't got too long. A few more, a few more seconds or so. And uh, has anyone got a good example in your group? You have? Angie? Angie has. Great, come up. Come on up, you come. Up you come. Great. They didn't get you up earlier. That's just like bad. Okay. All right. Okay. So hopefully you've kind of heard maybe a few stories or thought of something. So Angie, there's a time when you came to your senses, is there? Yes. Go on then. Tell us what happened. Oh, this is so bad. Okay. Um, it was meant to be for our group only. But anyway, I basically said that any single time I've like dated a guy, I've realized I'm probably self-deteriorating and... Therefore, I've like dated them being like, oh, this isn't great. I actually need more God and less of a relationship. So I'd leave them behind and be like, go back to God. Um, so that's my moment I came to the senses and was like, yeah, it's too much. Came to your senses. Okay, so I'm going to pray for the grace to kind of stick with God. Yeah. And then at the right time, if he provides a good guy, that you stick with the good guy and with God. Okay, cool. Thank you for sharing that to the whole room. <laughs> it's great. I, I, you, you asked for some interaction, though. But yeah, well, bless you, Angie. And we are praying for you as you, you head on from here. Well done. Well, well done for sharing. Okay. <laughs> My example was um, when I was 16, I went to do some work experience at a place in Bristol called SARI. It stood for Support Against Racist Incidents. And it was a whole kind of movement to support people who'd been like abused or attacked because of their race and to provide professional support and help in that situation. I thought, great organization. Yeah, I'll go and do my work experience. Brilliant. Um, but I was 16, uh, um, white and pretty useless. And so they just gave me some photocopying to do. And 
I made such a mess of this photocopying. And they sort of said to me, there's this booklet we produce, we want you to photocopy it on our high-spec paper. Uh, it's going to be really nice and go out to the community and it'll be put in doctor's surgeries and all that kind of jazz. So off you go. And I thought, there's no problem, it's just photocopying. Oh my goodness, I could not get like, you know, the pages to go the right way and then for it to fold into like the booklet. And I was so embarrassed because I was like, it's just photocopying. Like, seriously, what's wrong with you, Nicola? And it just took me a little while to come to my senses before I wasted too much of this high-spec paper that I needed to ask for some help. And I don't know how your different conversations went. We had a really different example there from Angie tonight. And just where you've come to your senses and you've kind of gone, oh. And I think many of us in our culture today do kind of suffer with quite a lot of pride when it comes to kind of going, actually, I need some help. And pride is something that we're going to uh, sort of have a little bit of a look at uh, tonight. And I'm just going to share um, a book with you as uh, we do. Um, it's called The Prodigal God by Timothy Keller. We've been doing a little series, if you've been tracking with us, in Luke 15 over the past four weeks. And we've been using a lot of material from a guy called Kenneth Bailey. Um, but for sake of plagiarism tonight, I probably plagiarized quite a lot of this into the talk. So um, it's Timothy Keller and The Prodigal God. And if you want to get a copy if you need a book to read over the summer, I really recommend this. It's only about four quid on the internet, so do grab a copy. Excellent little book. Now, in this chapter, Luke 15, we've been really exploring kind of the heart of what the gospel says. And the gospel says we need to come to our senses and realise that we need a bit of help. We all need to be restored whether it's that we need to be picked up like that lost sheep, found and polished up like that lost coin, or embraced like that lost son. And you see, these parables that Jesus uh, teaches are for all of us to hear and all of us to uh, learn from. But very quickly, looking back in the chapter, verse 1, who can tell me who's, the, who's this passage actually written for? Uh, who, who's Jesus talking to? Just have a little look, verse 1. First one, I'm coming, I'm coming with the microphone around the room. First one, who, who's Jesus talking to, Jeff? Uh, sinners. Sinners. Sinners and, who else does he lump in with the sinners? Yes, Steve. Yes, Steve, here we go. Sinners and? Tax collectors. Tax collectors. Got any tax collectors in tonight? <laughs> Okay, a few. Um, he lumps you in with the sinners. That's just because in the day, they were kind of um, pretty uh, not very nice, and they stole people's money and gave it to the Romans. So the Pharisees were the strict religious leaders, and they're super upset that Jesus is welcoming sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus says, do you know what? It's, actually, it's worse than that, guys. I'm not just welcoming them. I'm going after them. So as Jesus is talking to um, to the Pharisees, actually, he's talking through these parables. He's saying to them, you guys, too, are going to need to lay down your pride because you, too, need picking up, polishing off, and embracing. And you see, the thing is, I think that lots of us walk around um, West London fairly confident, actually, that we don't need God at all. And this parable gives us a kind of slap in the face because it says, actually, you do. Everyone does, no matter who you are. 
And there's a couple of things um, that happen to us as we kind of go about our Christian lives and as we, as we kind of live through the world. And one is that we can tend to be a little bit too prone to thinking the sin, the messy stuff, doesn't matter very much. So we kind of, we're desperate for people to kind of hear that God loves them. And so we kind of go, well, yeah, don't worry. So like the lost sheep, you're lost now. Jesus found you. Great. No worries. Lost coin. Great. Fine. No worries. Jesus loves you. And it's true. Jesus absolutely loves us. But in these parables, he's highlighting to us that we do need to be found and restored. We can't stay in the state of lostness. And like I was saying a few weeks ago, that sheep, if you remember the sheep that kind of wanders off away from the shepherd, and the further away the sheep gets from the shepherd, the more distress the sheep is under, and the louder the sheep starts to bleat, and the louder it bleats, the more it attracts danger to it, because the wolves out there and stuff can hear it bleating, and they're like attracted to that, because they're going to like devour it and eat it. And so the further and further away it gets from the shepherd, actually the more danger it spirals into and so if we just go oh don't worry sheep Jesus loves you no the sheep needs rescuing and restoring or it will be devoured and we can be prone sometimes to kind of going oh don't worry too much about the sin stuff and actually Jesus is saying no you you need to be concerned about that everybody needs to be restored But then the other thing we're prone to do is to see God wrongly and to think that God is going to be like, oh, well, I told you not to do that. You shouldn't have done that. That's really bad. Like, I'm I'm very cross with you. I don't really want to be with you, but I'll forgive you because I have to. I don't really like you. And we have that image of God in our head. And again, Jesus says, that's wrong. That's not who I am. No, instead, he gives us the image of the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after that one sheep, to pick the sheep up onto his shoulders and carry it home. Or he gives us the image of the woman diligently searching for the coin. I imagine her finding it and blowing the dust off it and gently placing it back where it belongs and so in these parables as Jesus embraces the lost son in the one day we find God calling us to be serious about our sin but serious about who he really is and that the more lost we are almost the more attracted he is towards us as he goes after us desperately inviting us and calling us home and so here we are in um the parable and um it's been an interesting interesting one because over the years people have called it the prodigal son uh have you heard that people call it the prodigal son um some people have said maybe calling it the two lost sons would be a good idea because both uh, the sons in the story are, are kind of messed up and lost from their father in different ways we'll come on to that um But Timothy Keller in that book I recommended said, maybe we should call it the prodigal God. Because the word prodigal doesn't mean someone who's wayward. The word prodigal 
actually means someone who spends until there is nothing left. And so that's why it's called the prodigal son, right? Because the younger son does spend all the father's money till there's like none left. But Timothy Keller says in his book, what about calling it the prodigal God? Because actually God spends his love until there is none left. The father in the story debases himself, picks up in the robes and runs towards this lost son, which culturally was something you just did not do. He didn't do that. That was embarrassing. That was lowering yourself. And so that's why we've been thinking that. And we've been looking over the last few weeks about um, how this story goes. Now, just very quickly, back in your groups, if you were up here preaching tonight, okay, and we're going to look at these two sons, what do you think are some of the things that you would say? So off you go. Have a little buzz on that. So if you are watching online, we're just chatting about what we would say about this parable. Having been looking in this chapter over the last few weeks, what are some of the things we would be uh, wanting to talk on? Um, yeah. So if I, if I kind of roam a little bit, if someone in your group had a good idea, maybe you could share their idea. So um, I'm going to come over this way. But like, what did you guys say in your group? Um, well, we said quite a bit, but something, <laughs> um, talking about how sometimes it's easier to notice other people's shortcomings, shortfalls than your own. And so it's very easy for us to say, oh, he shouldn't have run away the first son. Um, but, uh, kind of like realizing that when you're caught up in that situation, it's, it's a lot easier to, um, it's a lot harder to see it than if you're actually seeing from the outside. Mm, that's good, isn't it? That was good. I'm always looking for new people on the preaching rater, so this is helpful. Anyone else over here? Anyone have anything they'd be willing to share? Go on then. I don't, know. I don't see how God could be a prodigal God because he's endless love. Um, he is love and, and that's just who he is and, and he's omnipotent and, and all that stuff. So how could he run out of it? He's... Uh, that was one aspect of it. Um, the other aspect was both his sons had a had a poor view of the father. They both sort of saw him as a slave driver. One one said, um, "Well, I've had enough of this, and I'm off." But the other one who resented his father, but he buried it. But they both didn't have a a good picture of God the Father of the of the and of his love. Um, and um, that was just another aspect of it. Of, of, they didn't see the love, even though it was manifest. And um, I, and he spoke about it. That's excellent. Thank you. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Anyone else? Uh, just about the fact that the father running to the son stopped the son having to do a walk of shame for that, that last bit, that actually what could have been really awkward and embarrassing for the son, he was then doing with his father, and it was, there was all the joy. And it was, it was that, yeah, the dreaded walk of shame, and it was all cut out because of what the father did. 
Oh, I like that. Yeah, those are great guys. I've got so many people to put on the preaching road in next term. This is exciting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was just reflecting on how it, uh, I find the name that has been given quite helpful, the prodigal son, because the other two parables that it's told right alongside, they're the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin and the prodigal son. Um, it's not the, the good shepherd or the whatever. It's the, different, the three different examples of things that have been lost or tarnished or... Um, ruined or whatever um, and the thing that is constant in all of them is that there is someone that goes out and f- goes out to look for them and finds them and cares for them um, so I find that helpful in recognising that um, no matter which of the three images you relate to, God still cares and God still goes out looking and things and that maybe he was, Jesus was telling those parables in a sort of well if you haven't related to this one, how about this one and if you haven't related to this one, how about this one that, um, and someone else was sharing Bethany was saying it's cool that it included one of a woman, a woman that women could have related to about losing a coin, maybe a Pharisee wouldn't have related to that but then he shared one uh, about maybe the Pharisees would be able to relate to judging some guy for going off and spending all of his um, father's money but then being a bit shocked that actually the father wanted him back as well Brilliant. Thank you, Becky. Yeah. Awesome. Those were so many good points. And so there's just, this story is so rich. There's so much in it, which is just incredible, isn't it? And so many useful insights that we can gain from it. And yeah, and Luke, Luke is known as, as a writer of the gospel that he often parallels stories about both men and women. Uh, throughout the gospel, you can see that right at the beginning when you have the song of Mary and the song of Zachariah, where you meet Simeon in the temple, but you also meet the prophetess Anna. And so it goes on throughout Luke's gospel. And there's this sense in which Jesus' kingdom is inclusive to both men and women. And so that's really kind of something that comes out through, through the gospel of Luke. We're going to focus just a little bit now, just in the second uh, half, as we kind of come into to land on the older brother. And we've said um, a lot about about what's going on in the story, and, and it's a story we know if we've been in church for a bit. But the parable does teach us, as John pointed out, that both the sons have a wrong view of the father, and both of the sons are lost. And the, the youngest son, in some ways, it can be easier, maybe a quick glance, to see how he's lost. He is sort of obviously doing things that are morally wrong. But both of them use constructs by which to live their life that are not kingdom ones. And so what we find is that they represent sort of different ways of trying to make ourselves happy. And they're two different ways. And we can fall into kind of both those ways or one of them more than the other, but they're very easy to fall into. And the first one is moral conformity. The older brother is someone who wants to morally conform, to know what the rules are, the right and the wrong. And someone who lives by moral conformity says this, I'm not going to do what I want, but I'm going to do what tradition and the community wants me to do. And in many ways, that's great. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Someone who's living sort of a bit sacrificially, we can kind of see that that can be a good thing. But we'll find out how it's not so great in a bit. The younger son is someone who's living their life through self-discovery. And that younger son says things like, 
I'm the only one who can decide what's right and wrong for me. I'm going to live and find my true self and happiness that way. And that kind of mindset is quite popular in our culture at the moment. I'm going to live for me. I'm going to find my own happiness. I'm going to live my way. I'm going to make my path through it. And in the parable, very quickly, we see what happens when we just go after ourselves, and we see what happens to that, that younger son. But at the end of the story, it's the younger son who ends up in the party and the older son who's left outside. And the religious leaders would have just been like, the Pharisees would be like, what's going on? The guy who's good, who's followed the rules, is not in the party. What's that about? And I don't know how you read it, but for many years I read it and I was like, God, it's not fair. Like I felt really quite sorry for for the older brother. Um, And at this point, just for kind of self-therapy reasons, I need to just declare I am an eldest sister, an eldest child, and I've got two younger brothers. So I have a lot of affinity for the over-responsible moral conformist of of the older brother. We got any other older children in the house? Yeah, a few of us. So I know if you're a middle child, that's going to be hard. If you're a younger child, that's not fair either. I get it. Um, but if you're an older child, oh, there's, you know, there's, some, there's a tough deal there too, isn't there? You know, you have to forge the way for all your other uh, siblings if you have them. And, uh, and it can be tough. And I remember, um, I remember at a time thinking, I, I was quite good-ish. Um, like, I follow the rules kind of person. And... Um, I remember driving back one evening from uni and my brother, my middle brother, so one younger than me, must have been about 18 or something, and um, I was driving back from uni and my parents had gone away and he'd obviously decided in their absence that he was going to have a house party. And as I didn't, I didn't know this, as I drove into my road, I realised I could not get to our front door because riot police had blocked the road. And my little brother had decided to invite half of Bristol to like a house party and it clearly got like way out of control. And I remember kind of at the time kind of getting around to like Christmas that year and like he, he still like got like really good presents, you know, like my parents didn't disown him and like like, you know, tell him off particularly. He still seems to be loved by them. Oh dear, it's just, it's not fair if you're the older brother and you can feel angry about it. And so I'm kind of in the story with this oldest brother and I'm just like, God, it's not fair. He's worked on your estate. Of course, he's like, give him some attention. Okay, that's over. Does anyone else feel like that when they read it? Maybe? You just, or do you get where he's getting it wrong? Hi. So let's have a little look at what this older brother says. So the father goes out to him. And at the end of the passage, he says, I never disobeyed you. I've done nothing wrong. And you see, The older brother's not losing the father's love in spite of his goodness, but because of it. You see, it's not his deeds or or lack of good deeds that have created a barrier between him and his father. It's actually his pride. It's his moral record. It's his keeping his list of what's right 
and wrong that actually keeps him from entering the feast. Because as he's doing that, he's essentially saying, I'm going to save myself by what I do. I don't really need a saviour. And you see, both the sons, like John was pointing out, don't really respect the authority of their father. The younger son tries to gain control of what the father has by asking for his share of it and then going off and spending it crazily. But the older brothers does the same, but through a different way. He does it through controlling behavior. And he thinks that he now earns the right to what his father has because he's been good enough to earn that right. So he should have a say how that special robe is used and who gets to wear the ring and whether a fatted calf is killed for the feast or not because he has earned his place. And you see, of course, he gets lost in his anger. And at the end of the story, we're left not really knowing. We don't know whether this oldest brother ever goes in to the party. He is resentful. And in his resentfulness, it reveals that his father's happiness or his worship of God, as it were, as the picture of that, has never been his goal. He, just like the younger brother, has tried to control the father. And so I want to ask you a question tonight, and I want to ask you this. Do you live to seek to put a smile on God's face by your actions and words? Or do you live expecting God to put a smile on your face? And I think I find that a deeply challenging question. Do we allow our lives to be led by the Spirit or by our own good ideas? Do we live a life where we're prepared to lay it all down for Him? I mean, I love that verse, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. But the first step is seek him first, and then trust him to provide, give, look after you in the way he sees fit. And the challenge with that is that often as we come and we say, yeah, I'm going to lay my life down for you, God. I want to put a smile on your face by my life. Is that it will cost us things. We will at times suffer when we live in that way. We may be required to lay something down that we want. But it's worth it for what we do gain. But primarily, we want to be in that place 
where we live because we want to put a smile on his face just because we love him, because we're in relationship with him, and that is our everything. And you see, I love what... um, what Steve said at the back too, you know, because it is the father in this, um, on, in this parable who initiates love and he initiates it towards both of his two sons. And I love the way Steve put that in words just this evening of like how he gave that, that kind of younger son the grace of meeting him so he didn't have to do that walk of shame. Wasn't that such a beautiful insight? Um, but do you see how he does it too to the older son? He initiates towards him too. He steps out of the party, the figurehead and focal point of the party, the host of the party steps away from it and goes and pleads with his other son. All I have is yours, he says to him. Come on, come in. And I love that he doesn't just tick off the older brother. He doesn't point out his flaws to him. He just pleads with him in love. Come on. Come in. And you see, we may need to repent of stuff like the younger brother. But many of us are going to be like the older brother too that needs to come and lay down some pride. Because whoever we are, we need to be picked up. We need to be polished off. And we need to be embraced by God. And it's as we allow him to embrace us that he pours into our hearts through the Holy Spirit his love. And those of you that have experienced that, maybe just even in small tastes, will know that it's the most beautiful thing to know the love of God. And that as you take that, it can flow through the rest of your life. It's very precious. And so I just want to kind of leave us with uh, just a couple of thoughts as we, as we go tonight. Um, We need to leave here this evening very confident that everybody needs to be rescued by God, whether they're a younger brother or an older brother, whether they realise they need it or not, whether they're the most wealthiest person you know in West London or the poorest or the cleverest or the not-so-cleverest or whatever, like, labels we put on each other, whatever anybody looks like, the most sour-faced, focused London person on the tube tomorrow, whoever it is that you come across, you need to be confident as you leave here tonight that every single person needs the rescue of the Father doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what kind of life you've every single person, the level playing field, we all need it. And even though people out there will tell you they don't, they still do. And you can be confident of that as you leave here tonight. And it should help you as you talk to people to pursue very gently, not shoving the gospel down people's throats, but very gently inviting them to come and know God for themselves. And I told a story a long time ago. I asked permission of, I was out for Christmas drinks uh, with some friends of mine. And this lady, she was like, I'm just going to get totally drunk tonight. And don't judge me, Nicola, she said. And I sort of said, oh, that's really interesting. Why would you think I'm going to judge you? 
And we had a conversation about that. And we had a conversation about what it means and how I view God and what I think. And no, I don't think it's great to get completely drunk, but is my first response one of judgment or one of how can I show her that God loves her so much? And and it just puts us into an interesting place as we think through how we communicate who God is and how he's come to restore and rescue each of us. And we need to be confident that everyone needs his rescue. And then the second thing, when the pressure's on, when life's really busy, when we're all spent out, when we're dry and we're weary, when we, oh, we need to have the courage to lay down our pride and very quickly be the people that go, I need some help. God, I need some help. And we need to lay down the pride and receive his embrace. Don't stay stuck like the older brother. Bitterness and anger and regret and shame leave us very stuck. Don't hold on to that poverty mentality that everything in my relationship with God is transactional. I'll do this for you, God, so therefore you do this for me. I've done this for you, so I shouldn't suffer here. You should. That's not the good news. And so lay down your pride and let the Father embrace you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And he will embrace you and keep on leading you home to the eternal party. Amen. Should we just stand together? Well, we're singing royal. And uh, we're at the end of this series, so we're moving on to a new series um, next week. We're going to be in the little book of Jonah. So just very, very quickly, turn to the person uh, that you've been chatting to the most little groups. What's the one thing you're taking away from tonight? Just have a little buzz, and then we'll, I'll let Stephen take over and lead us.